When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Welcome to Sleepover Cinema, where we analyze the films that created the collective unconscious of those who actively felt their heart rate increase when they spotted the Disney store in the mall as a child. I'm Hannah Leach. And I'm Audrey Leach. We are the sister filmmaking duo, also known as Tuping Productions, and we haven't stopped thinking about these movies since we first saw them. We're going to explore the good, the bad, and the nonsensical of the movies that first inspired our love for film in an attempt to answer the question, are these movies actually good? And at the end of the day, do we really care if they are? Today we are talking about 1937's Snow White and the Seven Dwarves. Magic mirror on the wall. Who is the fairest one of all? Taking it all the way back. You heard that right. 1937. Mm -hmm. This is our oldest movie by far that we have ever covered on Sleepover. And it's also our first of the Disney animated classics. We're finally going there despite um, controversy. Okay, but I count The Little Mermaid (laughs) 2. Okay, you're right. You're right. You're right. Let me not discredit (laughs) the works of the 90s and early 2000s of Disney churning out the sequels. But a big part of why we're doing this movie is that, A, it was the first full-length Disney animated movie, and we thought it would be cool to start with that. Secondly, a lot of people are haters of this movie. They say it's old. They say it's boring. They say Snow White's voice is annoying, and I'm ready to go to bat. And thirdly, leading to, if you're a princess girl, as I was— And Audrey was to a certain extent. You have a princess who's your favorite. Yes. You know, like the girl. And Snow White was my princess above and beyond anything. Like I loved her so much. And I still love her, not in the same way that I did when I was like five, but still. I love Snow White. We're going to talk a lot more about princess interest and obsession later in the episode. But before we get into everything related to Snow White, we have to do this week's question for the culture. The culture is super sick right now. It's actually really bad, period. Let's hear it. Audrey always yells at me for not having a question for the culture prepared because when we started this segment, I said I would always think of them. And then promptly forgot that we said that. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. And then whenever we start recording, I'm like, I don't have one. And she's like, you were supposed to have one. And then I'm like, the pressure makes me think of one. So it's related to the subject matter of today. So Audrey, and I'm sure a lot of you listening We both have a consistent interest in Disney World YouTube (laughs) content. Yeah. Whether that is 
stuff about the park itself, stuff about the rides, how they're made, the legacy of the parks, the reason why the parks are flopping, et cetera, et cetera, why Universal is better. It never ends. (laughs) But my question for the culture is, what is it about that content that is like so enticing and like addictive? I think it's partially because unless you live in Florida, or California, you're not going very often. I would like to go personally. So if there's like content that is being released, it's a way to channel that sort of feeling without actually spending hundreds of dollars. (laughs) Yes. Um, So there's that. There's another part of it that's like, these people are so nerdy. It's kind of incredible. Like the people who make these videos are so knowledgeable. They teach me things. They teach me facts. I love video essays, so it's up my alley. (laughs) I'm also addicted to watching, like, reviews of the same Zelda games, like, over and over again. So everyone always says the same thing, but I'm like, give me that same point again. But I agree with everything you say about the Disney content. I also think that it's genuinely really interesting to see, like, the process of making the rides and like how they change over time. Mm -hmm. I think the fact that these things only exist for sheer entertainment value is, it's like movies sort of, but like. And money, obviously. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. Well, right. But it's like (laughs) you have to be there in person. Everything is tactile, except for controversially things haven't been as tactile with all the projections and shit over the past 10 years. Okay. Are you ready to talk about this movie? Yes. So Snow White was released on December 12th, 1937. And as for the rating, so normal ratings like G, PG, all that didn't exist yet. But this is what I found online. On its initial release in 1937, the film was classified at A uncut, which means requiring under 16s to be accompanied by an adult. At the time, some scenes in the film were considered too scary for the U category, which probably means like unsupervised. Yeah. Yeah, or something. This episode's going to be like a little different in a few ways, but especially because like modern criticism is like pretty irrelevant to this movie. Um, I've like zhuzhed the outline a bit to make it make more sense. Anyway, so on IMDb, there are six men listed as directors of this movie, plus the supervising director named David Hand, who worked on Fantasia, Bambi, Fox and the Hound, and was an animator for like, a million Disney shorts back in the 30s. Most of those men were listed as sequence directors. So that's not like the same as like the director, but I'll get to that later. Obviously, the story was written by the Brothers Grimm, Jacob and Wilhelm, as I checked today. And then there were eight writers credited for writing the screenplay, including one woman, Dorothy Ann Blank, who I tried to find out more about. There was not a ton to go off of, but I did my best. And of course, the movie was produced by Walt Disney and Walt Disney Studios, but he definitely was actually the director too. Like the big picture director, he wasn't doing the animating, but like it all came from him in a lot of ways. Okay, now for these synopses, they're all really good and they all say the same thing. So I'm just going to read one instead of all three. Actually, no, I'm not going to read it. Audrey's going to read it. (laughs) So can you read us this IMDb one? Yes. Okay. I mean, I'm sure you all know what Snow White is about, but (laughs) (laughs) here we go. The beautiful and kind-hearted princess Snow White charms every creature in the kingdom except one. (laughs) Why they refer to her as a creature? Interesting. (laughs) Her jealous stepmother, the queen. When the magic mirror proclaims Snow White the fairest one of all, she must flee into the forest where she befriends the lovable seven dwarfs. Doc, sneezy, grumpy, happy, bashful, sleepy, and dopey. But when the queen tricks Snow White with the poisoned apple and falls into a deep sleep, only the magic of true love's kiss can awaken her. Great story. Simple. Beginning, middle, and end. Taglines? 
in the 1930s are <laughs> unlike anything we have tackled before. This movie was so historic, and these taglines will let these bitches know that it was historic. Have fun with these. Okay. Because this isn't even all of them. I just picked my favorites. Yeah. This is, I feel like this is an era where a movie like this would almost be akin to like a circus. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. Where mm-hmm. it's like, this is an attraction. This isn't just like yeah. a movie. Also, we should put in here some like old timey music. Yeah. And you, should, you should read it in an old timey voice. <laughs> okay. Walt Disney's new characters in his first full length production. <laughs> then see for yourself what the genius of Walt Disney has created in his first full length feature production. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and that, I feel like I'm doing it. VO work right now. I like it. Keep it going. Um, so big, it tops them all. <laughs> <laughs> tops is in all caps for some reason. There hasn't been a hit like this since the movies began to talk. <laughs> <laughs> Proudly, we present the most important event in the history of motion pictures. <laughs> Behold the miracle of the movies. <laughs> Coming to amaze you, charm you, thrill you. <laughs> then this last one, you better get ready. <laughs> okay. A glorious new world of beauty, thrill, and enchantment awaits you. Out of the wizardry of Walt Disney's creative genius has come the miracle in motion pictures. Three years in the making, it is destined to play to more millions of people throughout the world than any other picture. For you, man, woman, and child, it will be your most treasured experience in a theater. (laughs) Beautiful. Beautifully done. Um, I love these. I wish that taglines for all of our movies were like this. Okay, so now for cast. So... Interestingly, every voice actor in this movie is uncredited. In the credits at the beginning, you don't see their names anywhere. Also, when you watch it at the beginning, it of course this makes sense, but it's like men on men on men on men. Like, they're actually, I was looking at pictures and there are some female animators, yeah. but like, I think everyone I saw credited was a man. Yes, it's true. I looked for that as well. It was like, Tim, Alan, David, Rick. (laughs) I'm going to try for the most part to stay away from like the like bad faith modern day interpretations of this movie and like the context. Like I don't need to do that. Like I don't think that you guys want to hear us be like, this movie's sexist. Like it's just so stupid to me. I mean, if we can have a discussion about it in a more nuanced way, then Uh, I'm fine with that. And are we not known for nuance? <laughs> <Amy>. Sometimes. <laughs> sometimes. A hard sometimes. Um, anyway, so most of the cast is, no, not most. All of the cast is unlisted. But I wanted to put a little spotlight on Adriana Casalotti, who was the voice of Snow White. Also, interestingly, one of her only other credits is in The Wizard of Oz, do you, do you recognize what I'm saying here, Audrey? Yeah. Will you give it to the people? <laughs> There's like in the in the Tin Man song, uh, If I Only Had a Heart. There's like this, this like really high-pitched voice. Oh, I'm trying to remember what the lyric is before that. I remember. What is it? It's, uh, picture me a balcony above a voice sings low and then and then she's like wherefore art thou romeo and then it i hear a beat yeah (laughs) how sweet fuck that makes me want to watch the movie so bad i really one thing about me and audrey that you will soon be privy to is that for whatever reason we like loved old shit when we were kids like I mean, every kid likes Wizard of Oz to a certain extent, like any kid who sees it, but like, we'll come back to it later. (laughs) I mean, it's true. I was binging Shirley Temple content like you wouldn't believe. (laughs) Anyway, back to Adriana. So both of her parents were opera singers and Italian immigrants. Um, And that's how she learned to sing. She was like under the tutelage of her parents. Walt Disney came to her dad and was like, 
you know any singers that would be good for this part? And he was like, here's my daughter. And then Walt Disney heard her voice and was like, correct. Whenever I see little children, I do little parts for them like, please don't run away. I won't hurt you. I'm awfully sorry. I didn't mean to frighten you. But you don't know what I've been through. However... There's some other really interesting things about her that I wanted to include. In the days of like really restrictive studio contracts, Walt Disney wanted to keep the mystery of Snow White's voice and um, kind of to have possession over it. So except for that little part in Wizard of Oz that we just talked about, she didn't do any other film work. She was asked to appear on radio shows and like other things like that. But Walt refused and claimed that he owned her voice. Yeah, and it couldn't be used anywhere else, I know. But otherwise, she did live opera singing, invested in real estate and the stock market. Okay, queen. (laughs) She did have an appearance on the Julie Andrews show that we were watching earlier today. my prince. Generally, I guess her shit was owned by Walt Disney, which is not surprising. Her last home in Beverly Hills was filled with every kind of Snow White memorabilia imaginable, mostly gifts sent from fans, from giant figurines to a wishing well in her front yard. Kind of love that. I get it. (laughs) I kind of wish she was alive so we could do a documentary in her house. That would be sick. Yeah. I saw she died the year I was born. Many years after the movie came out, she tried to sue Disney for a bigger piece of the film's profits, and she lost. So I hadn't listed originally the voice of the evil queen, but that was a mistake on my part. So she was voiced by Lucille Laverne. What a name. And she was like a staple of the era as well. She was the voice of the queen and also the evil witch. She was in A Tale of Two Cities, which was a big-ass movie from the time. The White Rose, The Mighty Barnum, and Abraham Lincoln, among other things. But these were all like golden age of Hollywood. Like these are all 30s for the most part. She was actually old in this movie. Oh my God, this was her last credit. Anyways, she does a great job. What a legend. And that's Lucille. Okay, so the budget for the first animated feature film ever was (laughs) $1.49 million, which is so much money for that time. Mm -hmm. Adjusted for 2022, that would be (laughs) $30,835,963.89. <laughs> and comparatively to The Wizard of Oz, that movie cost $2.8 million. Titanic was $200 million. <laughs> The thought that you would even spend that much on an animation was unheard of. Like, yeah. completely. And it made $4.2 million upon its initial release. The worldwide gross is $184,925,486. So when it comes to critical and audience opinions... So the critic score on Rotten Tomatoes is 98%, which I do think is the highest one we've had. And the critic consensus on Rotten Tomatoes is as follows. With its involving story and characters, vibrant art, and memorable songs, Snow White and the Seven Dwarfs set the animation standard for decades to come, which is absolutely true. And then for critic opinions, so obviously this was the 30s. Um, It's not like I can just find things on uh, Rotten Tomatoes about this one that are of the time. Just go with me on this journey as I read you a chunk of this review because it's really worth hearing, in my opinion. So Frank S. Nugent of the New York Times wrote the following. Mr. Disney and his technical crew have outdone themselves. The picture more than matches expectations. It is a classic, as important cinematically as the birth of a nation or the birth of Mickey Mouse. Nothing quite like it has been done before, and already we have gone impolite enough to clamor for an encore. No child could dream a dream like this. For Mr. Disney's humor has the simplicity of extreme sophistication. The little bluebird who overreaches himself and hits a flat note to the horror of its parents. The way the animals help Snow White clean house. With the squirrels using their tails as dusters. The swallows scalloping pies with their feet. The fawns licking the plates clean. The chipmunks twirling cobwebs about their tails and pulling free. Or the ticklish tortoise when the rabbits use his ribbed underside as a scrubbing board. All these are beyond a youngster's imagination, but not beyond his delight. That's so funny because it, like, created 
Like, that's such, like, a stock thing at this point. Yeah. But Snow White was the first movie to do it. And technically, it is superb. In some of the early sequences, there may be an uncertainty of line, a jerkiness in the movements of the princess, but it is corrected later, and hand and lip movements assume an uncanny reality. The dwarfs and animals are flawless from the start. Chromatically, it is far and away the best Technicolor to date, achieving effects possible only to the cartoon, obtaining through the multi-plane camera an effortless third dimension. You'll not most of the time realize you are watching animated cartoons, and if you do, it will be only with a sense of amazement. I just felt like it was important to include that just because it was like, it created a genre. This movie created a whole ass genre and just reading about how people reacted to it at the time that it came out was just like super interesting to me personally. We're talking about actual cinema today, despite the odds. Um, So this movie also won an Academy Award for Best Original Score, which of course was presented by Shirley Temple to Walt Disney. Um, If you don't know who Shirley Temple is, How do you even explain? Basically, she was like one of the original American child actors in films that became popular in her own sense, kind of like with her own name. Um, Like she herself as an like an icon was as famous as any one role she played. So it's kind of like the Olsen twins or like Hilary Duff, like where like they become Mm -hmm. larger than any role that they played. (laughs) They become a brand. Yeah. Yeah. So she was like a child brand performer, essentially. That's actually a really good point. Like, that's a good reference point for people that don't know who she is, is that she was like Mary-Kate Ashley of the 30s. Yeah, she's the original. (laughs) She's the original version of that. A lot of it is just like very pedophilic, like things she was in, um, which is no surprise, but I'm sure we will cover a Shirley Temple thing at some point and we'll get more into it then. But she also grew up to be like a senator or like a ambassador. ambassador. It was an ambassador. Yeah. yeah. Audience score and letterboxed average rating. The audience score on Rotten Tomatoes was 78% and the letterboxed average score is 3.5 stars. First one, five stars. The one that started it all. True Disney classic before they sold their souls and went woke. I'm rolling my eyes. Um, (laughs) Two stars. Dwarfs were (laughs) one-dimensional. Next one. Four stars on Letterboxd. And they said this. Dwarfs power ranking. Number one, Doc. Number two, Dopey. Number three, Sneezy. Number four, Grumpy. Number five, Bashful. Six, Sleepy. Seven, Happy. Followed by Happy Does Not Make Me Happy. (laughs) Which I don't agree with. I like happy. Other shit posty things people said on Letterboxd. Invented cottage core. The Huntsman has turf bangs. That actually made me laugh because it's actually true. Next person. I know audiences in 1937 were gagged at her dying for a sec. I am gagged at her dying to this very day. And then lastly, I think Dopey identified as a woman. And now for cultural context. So... Basically, I could go in super mega deep on this, but like this is not a history podcast. It is sleepover cinema. So basically, this movie came out in 1937, 1936, and it was in the time ramping up to World War II. I like watched a whole 45-minute thing about this era earlier today. So yeah, the Spanish Civil War going on. Hitler was gaining power. America was basically like... I pretend not to see it because World War I had happened not that long before. All this bad shit had happened after the fact, including the Great Depression. And that's kind of the thing with World War II in general. The U.S. waited until like the very, very last second to join in. I'm not going to be super reductive, but basically they were like trying to mind their own business. But then shit was getting so bad, they were like, we have to get involved. But interestingly, this was the kind of thing that was coming out in Hollywood leading up to that era. So... The big Hollywood musicals, very large scale. This movie obviously like redefined large scale for a whole genre. So that's interesting. But fast forward to the 90s where we were, mid 90s. When did we first watch this movie? What do we remember about it? Audrey, you go first because I have a lot to say. (laughs) I was going to say, I mean, I might as well not even talk because I have no... It it was already something that you loved by the time I was born. 
Yeah. So something you had seen. So, and then it was just really me witnessing your love for Snow White throughout childhood. I was so, 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 so obsessed with Snow White. And again, like if you're a princess girl, you get what I'm saying. But I was like so obsessed with her. I had many Snow White dresses. I drew her constantly. Like I could draw her dress from memory now. I can draw her laying down in the coffin from memory now. There is like so much archival footage that we'll put in the YouTube version of me just like flipping out over Snow White. Every little is Snow White. Where's Snow White? He doesn't know. Oh. Hi, Doc. <gasps> oh my goodness. Let's go look at a mirror. Is that Snow White? I mean, Hannah? I mean, Snow White? Wow, Hannah, that's beautiful. What are you doing? Put the flowers. <laughs> <laughs> I like it, Audrey. Audrey says someday I'll get to wear that too. You're pretty. Yeah. <laughs> you must be Snow White. Yeah. Are you the princess? Yeah. Are you going to make us something to eat? Yeah. What are you going to make? I'm going to make gooseberry pie. Gooseberry pie? Yeah. She's staying. Now you have to run downstairs and make the pie over there in your kitchen. Tell them. How can you tell? Sing. Ho hum, the tune is dumb, the words don't mean a thing. Isn't this a silly song for anyone to sing? Like, sleeping in my costume, having all of the dwarves, like rubber action figures or whatever. I have an extensive collection of Snow White items, and I actually forgot that a good chunk of them are here. So here's a sampling. First of all, we have my <laughs> Snow White piggy bank. <laughs> She's plastic. She's holding up her skirt. There is some money in it. I think it's currency from a different country. We have a very tiny, like two by two inch version of the book. It's a comic book version, actually, for our YouTube viewers. And I was given this as a gift when I was like in college. My ceramic Snow White tea set thing. I don't really know I loved this bitch for those watching the YouTube version. I have her. But then last but not least, I think kind of the crown jewel is the Polly Pocket Snow White house. So mm -hmm. this online would probably retail for so much money. And the fact that I've actually kept the Snow White Polly Pocket this whole time is kind of a miracle. But where are the dwarves? Girl, the dwarves <laughs> beat it a long time ago. <laughs> The dwarves have left the building as of like 2002, probably. Yeah. Also, you didn't mention that you would literally like act like Snow White. Oh, yeah. I was like extremely <laughs> obsessed. Like there's this part in the beginning where she's like before the huntsman tries to like kill her. When she's like walking around the field with like the little flowers and like picking them and like her skirts like flapping in the breeze. That was, like, all I wanted to be, like, in life. Like, once I got my dress on, I was, like, full-blown method acting Snow <laughs> yeah. White every day. And I remember when I was in fifth grade, which was, like, obviously on, like, the older end of my interest, I— um, Well, I, not really. That we're was gonna, the middle. <laughs> that was the middle. That was the middle. But it was, like— the point is, I had these friends at the time that were very much like popular girls, and I felt very like clouty for that. And I got them to all dress up as princesses with me, and we all got like the premium Disney store, like nice ass dresses. And I was living, it was amazing. Cannot recommend enough. And then I had like a renaissance of my love for Snow White in high school, which we have talked about before big Tumblr photo set moment. I have like more specific memories associated with it, but I'm gonna save them for the second half because it feels more relevant to talk about them then. But I was obsessed and hopefully we find some good audio of me being Snow White and we'll have put it in somewhere in there. So obviously Snow White is available on Disney Plus. Go revisit it. I don't wanna hear any of the slander about her voice. 
She's just a woman in a fairy tale setting. That was in style in the 30s. Yeah, totally. We'll see you on the flip side. History is complicated. The story of human progress is long, messy, and riddled with controversies big and small. On Conflicted, we dive headfirst into history's most infamous events and contentious figures. We try and untangle the good from the bad, the fact from the fiction, and the monsters from the misunderstood. Was Genghis Khan a murderous butcher or a civic pioneer? Did the Allied powers go too far? in firebombing the German city of Dresden at the twilight of World War II? And how did the Marquis de Sade acquire such a sinister reputation? And was any of it true? These are just a few of the tough questions we wrestle with and investigate on Conflicted. So if you love history or just enjoy a good story, please join me, your host, Zach Cornwell, for a fascinating new topic each and every month. Conflicted, a history podcast, is available on Spotify, Apple, or wherever else you get your podcasts. I hope to see you soon. Hello, hello, hello. Welcome to Snow White Discussion. I'm looking forward to the discourse. Why does Snow White's face give such a Marilyn Monroe vibe? It doesn't make sense timeline-wise. Well, maybe it's actually (laughs) the opposite. Yeah, like there's just something about... Because the way that this animation worked, they did use a lot of live action references. So they Mm -hmm. would film a lot of scenes with actual actors and then they would use them as a direct reference to animate the movement. And you can really tell, like it's very, you can just tell with certain movies if that's what they're doing. And yeah, maybe it's something with the actress that they used where like her face, she just has this kind of presence that is similar to Marilyn Monroe. I, I I don't know if you see that, but I see it. I haven't seen enough moving images of Marilyn Monroe to notice that, but I believe it. Yeah, they have they have like a similar presence going on and also just the like forced femininity thing. Yeah. It's very very real for both characters, both yeah. people and characters. I couldn't actually tell you what was in this movie other than the main beats. Obviously, everybody remembers the main beats <laughs> uh-huh. of Snow White. But what actually makes up this movie? And it is like 85% like vaudevillian like, yes. Um, yes. sequences of like shenanigans and uh, physical humor, which is probably purgatory for me. <laughs> right, right. Obviously, having, like, a narrative form to cartoons was, like, very new at the time. And normally, like, all of the shorts and stuff were um, based off of gags, obviously. And so, basically, for this movie— what people were used to. Yeah. For this movie, to the writers, they were like, give us all your gags. And I guess, like, thousands of gags were submitted from just, like, the whole company— and if you got a gag picked, you would get $5. And then if you got a gag picked for, like, an extended sequence, you got $10. Yeah. I mean, it's all beautifully drawn. It's all beautifully done. But I'm like, when yeah. can we get to the next moment, please? <laughs> yeah. I also want to get to the next story beat as I'm watching. But the thing that redeems it for me is that the orchestrations in the music are, like, so thoughtfully done. Perfectly timed. Yeah. Yeah, They're so perfectly timed. They're so thoughtfully done that it's kind of like, you know what? Like 
I'm just going to sit back and enjoy the show. While I watched it, I was sewing patches onto my jean jacket, and it was just like a great calming moment, a great calming viewing. And ultimately, I actually do appreciate the slower parts just because it is, it's like a classic. It's so hard to shit on it for that, you know? Not saying no, you were shitting I'm not, on it. You definitely no. Were. No, it's just, that's just a personal preference thing. That's how I've been my whole life. But this movie is scary. It is really <laughs> scary. The, and it's so scary. It's like top heavy in its scariness. Mm-hmm. Like right off the bat, scary. Then creepy. Then scary again. Then th- terrifying. And then fine for like an hour. <laughs> yeah. And then it gets creepy again. And then it becomes like, harrowingly sad. sad. I'm like excited and also dreading talking about the ending because I have such like clear memories associated with it, especially from when I was in high school. Like, I'm not really sure why the queen is so like jealous of Snow White because she is stunned and her (laughs) hands, the nails, hands are amazing. Yeah. It doesn't really add up to me as to why. Why does she want her debt? They're not even competing for anything other than purely fairest in the land. Not There's not even... You get so little backstory on them. Like, I even had to remember, is Snow White royalty or is she a servant? She's a She is a princess who was forced to be a servant by the queen. Yes. But Very Cinderella. Like, she has an unrelentingly positive outlook for having such a shitty life. That's the thing. That's the Disney thing. It is. But then you think about how, like, a huge group of men created this <laughs> movie. Yeah, yeah. And, like, how they... And, and that doesn't even mean anything necessarily about their expectations for... Because it isn't a fantasy world. Yeah. So, like... There is some suspense uh, or suspension of disbelief there. Regardless of how their intentions, tons and tons and tons of little girls and little boys watched that movie and internalized something about how girls behave. Like, mm-hmm. I don't know. Certainly in terms of like being motherly or nurturing, mm-hmm. taking care of the people around you, which are all good traits to have. For anybody, I think that it (laughs) is, like, a little dangerous in that sense. I don't know. I mean, this is, like, where it enters the territory that I was talking about earlier. It's kind of that classic thing where it's, like, can we criticize art for having influence or is it actually just that we are influenceable, especially kids? I don't know. It's so... Like, I remember when I was in high school, I read this book... And I wrote this whole paper, actually. Wow, it's all coming back to me. It was this book I read, I read called, it too. Yeah, called Cinderella Ate My Daughter. And it was talking about how, like, girly girl culture is, like, insidious, I guess. And I actually would really like to go back and reread that as an adult now, and especially as an adult who teaches kids. The whole, like, anti-princess thing is, it feels so dated to me. It feels very... um I mean, obviously Cinderella by Cheetah Girls is a timeless bop, but like that time that it came out, it just feels like we have bigger fish to fry currently than that. I don't think there's, there's nothing wrong with princess culture. Like, I think it's fun. (laughs) It is fun. And you shouldn't take it too seriously. It doesn't. That book, I remember being a lot about how much does princess culture influenced the real lives and choices of the girls that love them, kind of. That was sort of what it was about. Yeah. And I really liked that book. Like, regardless of how you feel about it, I like reading about it. I like just reading perspectives on it because it differs so much. Yeah. But like for us, I don't know. Maybe um, you would, I think you would have maybe more of a take than I do. It certainly didn't affect me in terms of my like choices but I enjoy princess movies and I think they're fun like I like looking at pretty dresses like yeah right god forbid (laughs) I feel like I've actually kind of thought about this 
not realizing that it's connected to any like princessness. But now that I think about it, I feel like there is a connection. I feel like the older you get, and obviously like I'm still young and like, so are you, but like you start to kind of think about like the bigger picture of, of life and like the things that you want and like the things that are worth pursuing and like whatever. And I feel like for such a long time, like, especially when I was younger, like I wanted a boyfriend or someone to like me like so badly and was like the most romantic child ever, like always getting up to no good, like kissing this boy in first grade and it blew up into this whole thing. And then like with Cameron, like there's just always been something, you know? And I can't help but wonder like, if that was implanted by like the centralness of romantic love in princess movies that I watched like 5 billion times over. And that may be true. I don't know if it's necessarily a bad thing. This is kind of deep. I'm going to get kind of deep on this episode, but sometimes I'm like, because I feel like knock on wood, but I feel like I've found like not to be corny, but like the love of my life currently. And so it's like with that, like box checked for lack of a better term, it's sort of Mm -hmm. like, oh, so what next kind of, or like what other elements of my life are, like, how do I want to prioritize things? Is that related to having microwave my brain with Disney? Maybe, but who's to say? It's a part of it. Snow White and all of the the princess movies couldn't exist without the the real life that surrounded it. And also it's based off like, like most Disney movies, the princess movies are based off really old like folktales. Yeah. So it, it's not just Disney. They didn't create this stuff. They repurposed it and they packaged it for America at that time. So when I was like researching, I came across someone being like, what is the ultimate message of Snow White just as a folktale. And the folktale is very much like, it's about the dangers of vanity. The queen is learning her lesson and we're supposed to be learning it through her. That's a hard Um, sell to make the villain the one that learns a lesson. (laughs) I know. It does feel like a hard sell to me too. Other than that, I mean, I guess in the Disney interpretation, it's like, True love is the most important thing in the world, which, like, is love. Is love in general perhaps the most important thing in the world? I would say yes. But, like, hetero romantic love, not necessarily. It's, you know, the interconnectedness of humanity Mm -hmm. is the most important thing. And, like, the the taking care of each other thing, like, as you were saying – just like being compassionate, et cetera, taking care of people around you. I kind of laughed when you said that because it made me think of like community care. Like Snow White is in the community and she's <laughs> no. leading community care. <laughs> no. That's so stupid, but that's what it made me think of. I actually kind of have a theory about the, like, where we don't have to talk about what you were going to talk about with the end yet, but kind of seems like she did die. Totally agree. <laughs> like, I think she did die. No, she died. Yeah. (laughs) Like the Candy Muse (laughs) meme, she died. Um, Yeah. You went to a castle in the sky? Yeah, I I don't think the prince actually... I don't think it worked. I don't think that any of that happened. I think it's this, like, artful extension of her dream. Right. it's, it's a combination of, like, giving Fontaine and also, uh, yeah, everything you said. And that's kind of, that, like, leads into my emo point. But I'm, but do you want to, should I just go there? Yeah. The funeral scene out is, like, such a roller coaster. Like, mm-hmm. that funeral scene is so sad. Yeah. Like, did you have that response too? Mm-hmm. And, and like, just the music of it, like the organ it's music. It's an organ. It's so... Like, just the fact that that was, like, the first full-length animated movie and, like, it makes me cry, like, to this day. And not just because of the nostalgia of it. It's just, like, 
<laughs> so strong. And then the music going into the last scene where it's like the text and like all those vocals, like the slidey old timey vocals. Yeah. It's just like, damn, like that is so impactful. is um around the same time that I like got back into my Snow White era I'm not sure like how this influenced each other when I was in early high school and Audrey was in middle school there were like a couple deaths like in our extended circle like mostly like moms of kids that we knew but I just remember being like 15 14 and like having to go to these funerals of like these people's moms that had like no business being dead like dying so young their kids were our friends or like people that we babysat like it was just so so sad for some reason I remember like watching the end of this movie and like the grief of like having watched all of that go down and then like the music and like the ending of the movie kind of got like glued together for me. But like especially the ending when she like undies, but she very clear, like it totally feels like she's still dead. Yeah. It just felt like this really like romantic interpretation of death and it just gave me a lot of feelings at the time. Mm-hmm. And then re-watching it, I was kind of bracing myself for the ending because I like knew that I would react that way probably. And I totally did. And then Josh came out for a second and we were talking about it. And he said something that really resonated with me. And I'd be, I just feel like it's worth saying, which is like, because I was like, she died. <laughs> and he was like, well, like, what, this is so dark, like, what is the difference between, like, dying and, like, living happily ever after? Like, not dying in some, like, horrible, gruesome way, but just, like, you don't suffer anymore when you're dead. Yeah, just not going through earthly pain and suffering (laughs) type thing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's just so interesting to think about. I I mean, I I love the ending for that reason because it works for people of all ages in different ways. Like when you're a kid, you you do think that it's just a happy ending and that it's very literal. At least I did. I was like, yeah, sweet. Okay, she's going to go chill in a castle now. Um, Yeah. And that's all she wanted. You know, like right before she takes the bite, she's like, I Mm -hmm. wish to be with my prince in a castle forever. And then she Mm. takes a bite and it's almost like Adam and Eve. But then when you see the ending, especially with new eyes as an adult where I'm like, no, I think she's really dead. Like, I don't think this is happening. It seems like another lesson should have been learned there, but it's just really sad. Who's the protagonist here and what theme, like, what is the actual through line? What is, like, the largest theme? I am speechless. I'm trying to even think of it. (laughs) Like, because the queen is gone after she does what she wants to do. She doesn't come back. Mm -hmm. Which also, may I just say, just as an aside, when she falls off the rocky cliff and then the buzzards show up and it like fades and looks really wet. It's like, how the, how were these bitches pulling this off? And it's like silent and like very artful. I'm like, that was genius. And Um, with all the money and resources we have today, literally nobody makes anything even 12% as beautiful as that is. I just like don't really appreciate the impulse to like make fun of it as source material like for Disney 
to make fun of its own roots. Like, I don't know. It's like, why did that even happen? Is it like in the case of Enchanted or like these live action ones or not live action ones, like the CGI ones now where they're like, she's a badass child. Like what, like role model? Yeah, that's fine. But I'm just like, is this just like the post-Trek industrial complex? Like why? Yes, it is the post-Trek industrial (laughs) complex. And it's also the post- me Too, BLM, COVID complex that just won't fucking die. It's also the streaming complex. It's also, <laughs> it's everything. It's our current economy. It's the way that industry works. I mean, as we speak about the original Snow White, the fucking Rachel Ziegler one, yeah, uh, you, like is filming or maybe it's wrapped now, but that's going to be coming out you know, within a year or two, there was some, like, controversy about the dwarves, how, like, they, It was Peter Dinklage being like, are you kidding me? Why? Yeah, and it's like, yeah, he's so right. (laughs) He's so right. Yeah. And so I can only assume they took that feedback and, like, changed it in some way, but it's like, it's literally called Snow White and the Seven Dwarves. Like, I don't fucking know what to tell you. Like, anybody playing fucking dopey is not going... (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> to be enlightened by the role, okay? Oh, you're right. And then if they, like, tried to make it that way, they're like, Dopey actually has deep mommy issues. And Dopey that's is why- woke. Right. It's like, do you want woke Dopey? Like, probably not. Like, <laughs> And then it's like, are they just going to be, like, pure CGI? Like, another question. Maybe. Ugh. That's almost worse. Imagine cleaning the hoarder house of seven grown men in hopes of having a place to stay when you're royalty. (laughs) (laughs) And she does it without, like, any level of beef with it. She does not question it. I'm like, I'd be like, "Mm, no, I'm going to get myself out of this in a different (laughs) way. (laughs) She's also just very, like, she just seems like, totally chill with the new setup. Like, is she planning on living there, like, indefinitely? I feel like yes. It's also very in the moment. That's kind of the thing with this whole movie is that there's, like, no past and no future. There's only the moment that it's in. Only now. And why is she so surprised to learn that her stepmother doesn't like her? (laughs) Like, you're literally cleaning the Yeah. It's a really good question. In the beginning where she's looking down the wishing well and they have that like gorge water Mm -hmm. effect on it. It's stunning. It is stunning. And I wrote that. stunning. I wrote down that same thing. I was like, how did they even do that? Like, it's just so cool. This movie is so violent. (laughs) Like, they beat the shit out of Dopey and Grumpy at different times. Like, Mm -hmm. the way that they, like, force Grumpy to wash, like, made me feel a little uncomfortable. (laughs) Like, it was a little too, like, they're holding his limbs down. Like, it just felt gross. Should we talk about the music at all? Oh, yeah, definitely. The music goes so hard. It's so good, in my opinion. Like, Someday My Prince Will Come, classic. Really, all of the other ones, hi-ho, so good. There's like a really, really good harmony part in there that I really enjoyed. The Diamond Mine is so beautiful also. When they're like holding all their gems, I'm like, can I get one of those? It reminded me of a... looking at the Sorcerer's Stone and being like, that looks tasty. The one song that I didn't, like, remember the, or, like, didn't know the words to is the, you know, the one that's just, like, oh, a folk song, mean, basically. Oh, um, the tune is dumb, the words don't yeah. mean a thing. Yeah, I know that one. Like, I, actually, I know the main part. I just don't know, like, the verses. So I was, like, it's interesting. <laughs> it's so funny because that song actually functions as, like, a freestyle. <laughs> like, and just waiting for whoever to like start spoken word rhyming. It kind of is rapping in a weird way, but like you wouldn't call it that. But they are soft chewing also. Oh, yeah. There's yodeling. I feel like I like the score 
even potentially more than I like any individual song. Yeah. Every single detail was thought over with so much care and like really, really artfully created. It is like unbelievably beautiful. When she makes the pie and the birds are helping her with the dough, that's like something that lives in my brain forever. The whole movie is just kind of beyond criticism, but it does pose some very interesting ideas. One thing that I was really thinking about watching it this time is ideologically, this movie says that being old is being ugly. Mm -hmm. Like they're one in the same. And like youth, youth is the thing that they're really, yeah, <laughs> that that the queen is after, I guess, because yeah. it's not like she's not pretty. Like I said, she is. So she wants to be young, I guess. I don't know. But just the fact that she turns herself into like an old hag, she makes herself, quote, uglier <laughs> to yeah get what she wants. That's a very like... <laughs> that could be a very like literal thing, but only if you're looking at it in terms of old is ugly, which certainly they were. And <laughs> usually the old witch hag character, like that's not a person that's ever viewed as like being a good person. Yeah. The more you think about it, the more you see that like ugliness is like so subjective and so like created by, like, fucked up systems, you know? I don't know how to finish my point. It's just something I noticed. Yeah. Like, in a in a very literal sense, ugly equals old. So ultimately, I think for me, Snow White is this really interesting combination of, like, extreme childhood nostalgia. It feels like the dustiest movie of all time in my mind. And it's also just grown to me to be, like, this really beautiful, really sad movie about death, which like it isn't about, but it also, I don't know. It's like the, the romanticization of her, even when she's dead, just feels, it just reminded me a lot of like some traumatic deaths I witnessed as a kid, but this is like a, a positive reflection of death of a maternal figure. I suppose. My, um, this is so stupid compared to that. <laughs> what I wrote for my takeaway is pretty girls take major L's and everyone <laughs> needs to get Snow White's name out of their mouth. <laughs> That's also true. All of that is true. Um, we have a wide range like, of reactions. <laughs> I was like, can she not? be cut a break like she literally no. didn't do anything <laughs> no like, she was just being pretty and like vibing also i forgot to say that i intentionally wore my pie earrings today for this very episode and i have glitter on for this episode as well nice thank you i guess now we have officially kicked off the disney episodes that could occur in the future yes and it definitely is sleepover cinema, so it fits. <laughs> so deal with it. <laughs> I think for a while I was like, I am not sure, but... It absolutely is. The episodes are better when we have a deeper connection. And so yeah. we do have a deep connection with a lot of them. Yeah. So it just, it'll just make for better episodes. Yeah, agreed. If you're finding our podcast right now because you were looking for Disney podcasts, welcome to the sleepover. Uh, <laughs> stay tuned for more. Audrey, where can they find us? You can find more from us at evergreenpodcasts.com slash sleepover dash cinema and keep up with our latest creative projects at twopinkproductions.com. We're on Instagram, Twitter, TikTok, and YouTube at sleepover cinema and post a full video version of each episode on YouTube every Thursday. You can follow me, Audrey, at Audrey and Leach on everything. And you can follow me, Hannah, at Hannah Ray Leach on Instagram and at Lana Von Trapp on Twitter. And of course, you can join us on Discord anytime you like. It continues to be a thriving and positive virtual community. Um, the link is <laughs> in our episode description and we invite you to join us. And you can also check out our merch at twopinkproductions.com slash shop. 
we have all the goods. Yes. Um, Still. (laughs) Nevertheless. Um, And if you love our show, please share it with your friends. Write us a review. A Sleepover Cinema is a production of Evergreen Podcasts, produced, edited, and engineered by us, Hannah, and Audrey Leach. Sleepover Cinema is mixed by Sean Rule Hoffman with theme music by Josh Perlman Hall. Executive producer is Michael D'Aloya. Someday when my dreams come true, <laughs> you live happily ever after. <laughs> the end. The end. You're dead or you're living happily ever after. It's up to interpretation. Hello, everyone. My name is Matt Neglia, and I am the host of the Next Best Picture podcast, part of the Film Entertainment Awards website, nextbestpicture.com. On our show, we explore all year long what is possibly going to win Best Picture at the Oscars. We do this by conducting interviews with people within the film industry, holding weekly reviews of the latest theatrical releases, and on our main show, where we dive into various different topics, answer your fan questions, and also do our best to explore Oscar history's past in hopes that it will tell us something new for this upcoming award season race. We hope that you will join us on all the various podcasting networks. We look forward to seeing you over at nextbestpicture.com. This podcast was produced with the support of the Ohio Motion Picture Tax Credit and in partnership with the Ohio Development Services Agency.